Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Good morning, everybody. How are you guys doing? Feeling good? You know why I asked him? Because I care. It's important for you to know that and understand that. It does feel a lot like home here. I was here last year about this time and very happy. Thank you, Joe and Lynette, for inviting me back again. That doesn't always happen for me, so it's, uh, it's exciting when I get invited back somewhere. Excellent, excellent. And I'm not sure if uh, Joe mentioned or not, but uh, my wife Mary Kay is here today, and we have been a part of the Los Angeles church since it was planted in May of 1989. So we've been here a long time, and it's always great for me to be able to go and speak at different parts of the LA church. Actually, we're, the service, the ministry that I lead is over in Glendale, and uh, we call ourselves the Lifeway. It used to be the central region of Los Angeles church, but anyway, we're over there, but occasionally I get to go around and speak, and it's always great, and I always see so many people that I know. And it does feel a lot like home, and thank you for that. Thank you for welcoming me today. I really appreciate it. I was able to have breakfast this morning before church with my friend Marty Wooden. Uh, even better, he bought, so that was, that was great. I, 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 was, uh, I was tempted to say we were old friends, but, you know, when you do get older, then that sort of has a double meaning, you know, the old friends and the old friends, but... Anyway, yes, Joseph is my, uh, my son, and uh, I'm just curious, how many of you even knew that Joseph had a father? <laughs> there was a handful of people. <laughs> Joseph is a, uh, is a great kid, of course, and uh, we love him dearly. I uh, did tell him on a regular basis growing up that uh, we have three sons in my family, and I consistently uh, explained to him that he was the least like Jesus of all of them. Um, I, I was joking when I said that. Somehow I got the idea that was good parenting. But anyway, uh, perhaps it wasn't. So don't necessarily try that at home. Uh, very proud of Joseph and, of course, Sunova. Very excited to be here in the, uh, the L.A. area with them. And Mary Kay is here. And if you didn't know, uh, Mary Kay recently uh, passed an online certification as a health and wellness fitness coach. Yeah, so, and if you know Mary Kay, this is not a new thing. She's been healthy and fit uh, for a long time. So uh, anyway, she's sort of starting in this, uh, moving on sort of new chapter in her life as the years go on, hoping to build something here. She would want me to make sure that you understand that I am not a client. For some reason, she feels like I am not necessarily representative of what she's trying to help people with. I tell people many times, if I only ate the food that was in my refrigerator, I would be the healthiest man in America. But unfortunately, I eat uh, other places. So uh, at some point here, we should get to a sermon, right? I, I did want to say one other thing there, though. I love your church here in... in Joe and Lynette, thank you for your leadership. I have never been to a church where I was given so many choices. I mean, you know, so the song was led, and I was actually told you can either stand up or you can sit down. I was confused. I didn't know what to do. I felt almost like I should leave the room. 
I didn't know. And then it came time for communion, and I was told that, you know, if you want to have communion, you don't have to have communion, but if you want to have it, you can go over here, or you can go over there, or you can go there, or you can do it now, you can do it later, you can raise your hand, somebody will bring it to you. I go, wow. I am, uh, they're trying to engage me in ways that I'm frankly uncomfortable with. But this is a new thing. You know, I think I'm going to go home and try to give my ministry more choices. Maybe that would work. I, I did find, I hate to say this, I was meeting some of the women back there, and I met a, a, a beautiful older lady back there who said she was your mother, Joe. And so I, uh, I was a little concerned because... I was so impressed with all the choices, and I asked her, I said, so do you, do you come here often? And she said, oh, yeah, I come here every week. I live with Joe, and he doesn't give me a choice. So that's what I, I am not making that up. That is exactly what she told me. So... So I would just say, Lynette, maybe you can help Joe, that this choices thing is good. Maybe we need to expand out, branch out a little bit, yeah. My, my. So uh, turn over to John chapter 4, if you have a Bible. I think it's definitely time to go there. John chapter 4, if you don't have a Bible, maybe you can read with somebody next to you that has a Bible. If you're new to this church here, one of the things I love about our church is that we believe that the Bible is the inspired Word of God. Yes, we, we believe that although it was written by men and it was written many thousands of years ago, that this is a true message from God. Yeah. And that God worked through these men to give us exactly what we need here. And so we always, if, I believe if, if it's your first time, you come back again, I believe every time you come... To this church, you're going to hear a message from God's Word, or what we believe to be God's Word. So we're going to do that today. We're going to go, um, we're going to go big today. We're going to go deep today. I want you to consider something that may be, frankly, uncomfortable for you. And I just want you to answer this question in your own heart. Are you really a happy person? Are you... A happy person today have you have you found happiness are you experiencing happiness and that's a tough question to even honestly consider and if you will consider it I'm gonna give you credit for having some courage because many people don't even want to consider the possibility they don't even want to think about it because it's too painful frankly because it seems surprisingly difficult to find happiness Have you found that to be true I've certainly found that to be true and sometimes success in life, we have goals, we have dreams, sometimes success can be especially disappointing because we thought that when we achieved this, we thought when we possessed that, we thought when we got to a certain place and a certain place in life and certain things happened that we would be happy. But sometimes it's not. Sometimes we don't find that. And it's, it's, sometimes it's not even necessarily, our, our, our lack of happiness is not necessarily powerfully poignant, but we just, if we're really honest and we'll stop and consider in our quiet moments, we, we're experiencing some vague discontent. There's something missing. There's some nameless 
longing that we have not yet experienced. And so I believe that Jesus is going to help us with that today. This is not the only answer, but Jesus is going to give you a part of the answer today of what we all need to understand if we're really going to be happy. Sound good? So in John chapter 4, some of you may know the story. Uh, let me just give you a little, a little background, maybe if it's even your first time to the church here or you're not a Christian or you don't know much about the Bible. There are four different accounts of the life and ministry of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And if you get a chance to read them, they're all great. There, there are a lot of similarities and there are a lot of differences, but when you put it all together, you get a picture of who Jesus is. And so I love that. I love studying of Jesus. I love learning about Jesus. I love sharing about Jesus. I love preaching about Jesus. This is a message that I recently gave in my own home congregation about the ministry of Jesus. And so John is kind of unusual. If you don't know, I'll just uh, maybe explain a little bit. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are very similar, those three. And if you read them, there are a lot of similar stories. And there's even a lot of similar verbiage. And so they obviously had each other's accounts in front of them. Most scholars believe that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were wrote, written significantly before John was written. John was one of the apostles, uh, close to Jesus, close friend of Jesus. And perhaps this is even 20 years later that John comes along and he's, got, he's seen Matthew, Mark, and Luke's account of the life and ministry of Jesus. And he says, it's almost like he says, you know, there's some stories that still need to be told about who Jesus was. And so what you find in John is some very unique accounts of stories about Jesus that you don't find in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In this story in John 4 about Jesus, this is from early in his ministry, and he's meeting this woman that we call the Samaritan woman. And he and his followers, his disciples, were traveling from Jerusalem. They are going up to... Galilee and northern Israel, and so they pass through this area called Samaria, and they meet this woman. And so you ready? You ready, Joe? Are you ready? Okay. So we're going to pick up in chapter 4, verse 4. It says, Now he had, Jesus, to go through Samaria, so he came to town in Samaria called Sychar. Near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. That means it was about noon. They started their clock at uh, 6 a.m. Not sure what time you start your day, but that's when they started theirs. And so it says then, as some, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. So we're going to stop there. And I want you to understand the scene. It's very significant that he, Jesus, stops to talk to this Samaritan woman. If you weren't aware, there was a tremendous cultural divide between men and women. Women were widely regarded as second-class citizens in that day. And so Jesus, actually, in Christianity, were part of the, the, the forces that came to bear that really improved a lot of women in the world. I have read that it was said that during that time one of the Jewish leaders, a, a teacher of the law, that it was such, the divide between men and women was so great that if he was walking out in public and that if his wife passed by, he would not acknowledge her. Wow. This is where all the women groan. I'm trying to imagine how that would work with Mary Kay. <laughs> right? 
And so anyway, so there's that divide, but then there's this racial divide, which we understand that it's still part of our world uh, between the Samaritans and the Jews, but Jesus breaks through all that, and Jesus has this wonderful conversation with this woman while his disciples, his followers, his companions had gone into town to buy food because they were hungry. Because what do men, what happens to men around noon? They get hungry and angry if they don't get food. And so we're going to end our service about noon because I know what happens. There might be some women that are spiritual enough to stay if I keep going, but if I go much past noon, men are just going to start filing out. We're going to lose them. They're going to go find the nearest groceries that they can find. Okay. So he's hungry. So he has this great conversation with this woman. And we're not going to look at that conversation today, but I, we're going to skip to the, to the end of the story. But I want to say, if you want to know better how to reach out and share your faith and help other people who don't know Jesus to find Jesus, this is a great conversation. And John, it's not in the other, you can't find it in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John has a very specific account of what this happened and what this conversation he had with this woman was. And, of course, there's a great result to it, and the woman comes to faith. But now, for our purposes, we're going to go all the way to the end of the story. You still with me, Joe? I am. I haven't lost you yet, have I? We're going to go over to verse 27, and I'm going to take a moment, and I'm going to look at my phone because if you see me look at my phone, it's not because I'm checking my text or my Facebook. It's because I am a modern man, Joe, and I no longer carry a watch. So the only way I know what time it is and whether, how close the men are to leaving to go to lunch is by looking at this. So we're doing good on time. Okay. So we get to the end of the story. Jesus has this great conversation with this woman, and we get to the very end of it, and then verse 27 says, Just then... His disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. It was surprising because that just culturally wasn't done in that day, right? But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, remember the woman had come to draw water from the well. The woman went back to town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him, toward Jesus. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, that means teacher, eat something. But Jesus said to them, listen now. Jesus said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? You can understand why they were confused, right? right. We were talking about men earlier. Right. It's science. It's simple math. There's hungry men. They go to get food. They bring food back. And Jesus is no longer hungry. There's only one conclusion you can come to, right? Somebody already brought him food. So that's what they're, they seem not so much concerned about what's going on with the woman and all that as they are about, I mean, we went to a lot of trouble. You know, the first McDonald's we went to wasn't open. And I don't know why. 
It was Sunday. Maybe it was a Chick-fil-A. Because if you try to get that Christian chicken on Sunday, you're not getting it on Sunday. So whatever the problem. So he said, we went to all this trouble, and we went to get this food, and we brought it back, and now he's not interested in eating. And Jesus says this thing that they, this is early in the ministry of Jesus. And they didn't get it yet, but they got it later. And we need to all make sure we get it today. He says, look, I have food. I have food that you know nothing about. You see where we're going? Then the next thing it says, Jesus says, verse 36, My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do not say... Four months more than the harvest. I'll tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They're ripe for the harvest. Even now the reaper draws wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits from their labor. And as the story goes, the woman leaves, and she goes and tells the story of her interaction with Jesus and the fact that, this, that she's become convinced that this very well might be the Messiah, the promised one. And so Jesus is there, and the disciples are coming back with the food, but there's something else that happens. On the horizon, it says, the whole town starts coming out. And you just got to picture it if you're Jesus, and you're there, and you desperately want to, to share your faith and you want other people to know the message, the good news. And so here they come and they're just, they're coming over the, the hill. They're coming over the horizon. Just imagine what Jesus is feeling. Jesus is feeling like this is why I came. This is what I'm here for. This is what matters most. This is what I want to do. See, it turns out when it comes to happiness, God has made us all so that you will never be happy, you will never experience joy until you understand the need to make a difference. We were made to make a difference. Now, if you haven't heard me preach lately, I only have one-point sermons these days. Yeah, because I suddenly realized after many years of preaching that I used to do the traditional three-point sermon, and I realized that by the time next week, I could not even remember what I had said, what my three points were the week before. So I, maybe you can relate to this, Marty. I'm just working on one right now. Yeah, I, I lost you way back in the beginning. Maybe we'll have lunch afterwards. But God made us to make a difference. That's what Jesus is trying to tell these guys. He says, you guys don't understand this yet. It's early in the ministry. You don't get it yet. I have food. I have, some, I have soul food. How many of you like soul food? I like soul food. I'm from the South. I even wrote down, I, I see some of my favorite soul food. You know what that is? Chicken fried steak. Collard greens. Fried okra. Hush puppies. Yeah, what? So, yeah, see, there's a lot of Southern, people who grew up in Southern California, they're confused now. Sweet potato pie, cornbread, 
Oh, I shouldn't be saying this in front of Mary Kay. Anyway, um, not, not sure they're going to be on any di health and wellness diet that she recommends for you. But, you know, those are maybe foods that we crave. Jesus says, Jesus understands something. He wants us to understand it. You are created, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian. You are created with a hole in your soul. And one of the things that's going to be required, if you're ever going to be fulfilled, is you're ever going to be happy, is you're going to have to live in such a way that you are making a difference in the lives of others. Even people who are not Christians have figured this out. There are many people who have professed no faith and would claim no faith, but they're doing great things, and they're serving the poor, or they're serving the community, or they're making a difference. And you know what? They're experiencing fulfillment from that. That hole in their soul is being fulfilled. You know, I have friends that are a part of Alcoholics Anonymous, AA, which is a great program, a great recovery kind of program. But one of the things, you may or may not know this, but one of the things, if somebody's going through that program and they're recovering and they get to a certain point, you know what they ask you to do? To turn around and be a sponsor to help somebody else. Because that's where you're going to continue with your recovery. That's where you're going to find fulfillment. I remember clearly the first time that I perhaps experienced this in my Christianity. I grew up going to church, and uh, it was sort of a traditional type church. And uh, unlike this church, they didn't give us many choices. Um, so I was kind of, it was kind of an empty experience for me. And, and I don't want to blame the church because I was interested, frankly, at that point in my life. I was in my 20s. I was probably more interested in sin than I was Jesus and so anyway, I came to a certain point. I went to graduate school at the University of Florida. That's actually where I met jo uh, Marty and, what's your name? Marty. Marty and Kathy. Uh, I met Joseph later. He was, yeah. I don't know if you realize that, Joseph. I've known Marty and Kathy longer than I've known you. But anyway, um, so I, I, I went to the University of Florida, and I went to the, the ministry there, and it was a great ministry, and it was very focused on reaching out and helping others to become Christians. And so, you know, I'm just sort of trying to figure this out. I love the church, and I love the spirit, and I love the relationships, and they taught me how to have a personal connection with God, and they taught me how we were helping each other to be our best spiritually, and we were reaching out to help people that weren't saved to become saved. And I was just sort of trying to figure it out. So one of the things that I did was early on, there was an older gentleman who was studying the Bible, thinking about his decision to become a Christian. And there were a group of guys that were studying the Bible with him and helping him and key relationships. I only met him at church. It'd be like if somebody was visiting here and I would talk to him a few minutes, maybe even before or after church, and he was telling me about his journey and he was telling me about his uh, thinking about his decision he wanted to make, whether Jesus would be Lord of his life or not. And, I, you know, I was a brand new Christian myself, I just made, I was sort of trying to say something that would be helpful, right? You ever in that position where you just pray, God, help me to say something that would be helpful? <laughs> so I was sort of that, I wasn't sure at all, and so we would talk and we would share, and this went on for several weeks, and this was back in the day, some of you may not be able to relate to this, some of you might, where at the end of the service, there would be an invitation, and so the guy who was the preacher, somebody who was looking and acting like me, would say, hey, if you want to either repent publicly of sin or you want to make a decision 
to make Jesus Lord of your life come forward during this last song. And so this, this is what we had going on. And I remember where I was sitting in the auditorium that we're in, and this guy that I had talked to stepped out of the aisle and walked forward. And I knew that he was coming forward to be baptized. And a little bit more background, you know, I had been in sin, living in sin for many years, and my heart was hard. I had not been able to cry for a long, long time. There were even times I wanted to cry, and I couldn't cry. Just couldn't break through the, the heart. And all of a sudden, when this man stepped forward and came, the tears just, just flowed. First time in years. What happened there? I wasn't even one of the people, no doubt, you know, they didn't have any sharing before his baptism, but if they had, he probably would not have mentioned me. <laughs> right? I mean, I wasn't even one, but I thought in some way, in some, some small way, maybe I had a positive influence on this guy making the most important decision that he can ever make in his life, and that is to be baptized into Christ and to make Jesus Lord. And my soul, there was a hole in my soul. And I figured it out that day. Let me just say it. I want to be so clear that nobody misunderstands me. You will never be happy. You will certainly never be happy the way God intended you to be happy until you deliberately decide in your actions and in your life to live in such a way as to make a difference in the lives of others. Now, sharing your faith and helping somebody, it's not the only way you can make a difference. And we need to understand that. We make a difference in a lot of different ways. You make a difference when you help the poor. You make a difference when you serve somebody who has a need. And you make a difference when you visit somebody who's sick. And, and you make a difference when there's a, somebody else that you know that's struggling with their faith. And, you know, they're a Christian, but they've got issues going on. And you, you show up, and you sit down, and you love them, and you pray with them, and you talk with them. And... You know, and you, you say that prayer, God help me, I don't know what I'm saying, help me to say something that's helpful. A lot of different ways you can make a difference. But let me tell you something, you will never make any more significant difference in anybody's life than when you make a difference in somebody's eternal address. When you help somebody to find Jesus, when you help somebody to find salvation, that's the gift that keeps on giving. That's the gift that keeps on giving all through eternity. It's not the only way to make a difference. But there's no more significant way to make a difference. Church, I hope we don't forget that. When we moved here in 1989, some of you know, there were 50 of us. Other than Mary Kay, was there anybody else here that was in that original group of 50? I'm trying to remember. Some of you have been, were you? Yeah, that's right, Catherine. It is Catherine, right? See, praise God. I mean, God was working right there. But I remember you came up early on in the early days because you were down in San Diego, right? I got you. Yeah. So we're going to count you. Uh, 
But we were a small number. Yeah, and so many of you came in shortly after that, I know. But you know, what's happened since 1989? What are we, about 6,000 now? All around the Orange County, Inland Empire, Ventura County, Antelope Valley, wherever, you know, L.A., all that. How did that happen? Well, it happens because God works. But it also happens because people decide that they want to make a difference. And they reach out and they share their faith with their neighbors and with their family and with their friends and then with their co-workers because they want to make a difference. Tell you the funny thing about it is even when you're trying to make a difference, just the, even if you don't necessarily feel like you're succeeding or it's not really working, the fact that you're ex- extending yourself, the fact that you're putting yourself out there, you're going to find a fulfillment that you will not otherwise have. You were made to make a difference. You weren't made to live for yourself. You weren't made to list, you know, I think bucket list is great. But, you know, a lot of times bucket list is like all the things I want to do for myself before I die. It's not wrong to have a bucket list, but if you're living for your bucket list instead of living for Jesus and living for your neighbor, you're not going to be happy. I don't care if you do climb Mount Kilimanjaro. I don't care if you do jump out of an airplane, which I don't understand. Why would anybody jump out of a perfectly good airplane? How many of you have done that? See, there's a, you're strange, strange. We love you, though. We love you, though. It's not normal. I'm just saying. But we love you, though. I don't get it. Why would anybody run a marathon? I mean, I can understand running, and I try to exercise and, you know, run a little bit and, you know, get in shape and all that. But a marathon, do you know that's 26.2 miles? And you're supposed to run it consecutively. Right? I mean, you're not supposed to spread it out over a week or a month. Why would anybody do that? Not on my bucket list, Tim. Nor yours. Thank you. But we got we to gotta live. You were made to make a difference. Did I say that already? Is anybody confused? You were made to make a difference. You know, I mean, one of the things that we're doing, uh, we've been, in my ministry back in our part of Los Angeles, we've been serving at a, a Union Station Homeless Services in Pasadena for quite a few years. We feed the homeless, we help the homeless. And, you know, they started a new program just recently. And because people in our church were so active and so involved in serving with them, they, they really like us. We, we're good volunteers. And so we showed up and started, so they said, we're starting a new program, a mentoring program for people who are transitioning out of homelessness. And so that's, they're going to, you know, no longer be dependent on others for food and services, but the idea is they're going to go back into the community, resume 
a more normal lifestyle. And they wanted, they asked specifically if our church would supply mentors to mentor people. And so I, I, uh, I signed up for that. But I got to tell you, I'm back praying again. Lord, I have no idea what I'm doing here. Just help me to say something that make a difference. I've never mentored a homeless person before. And the truth is, I'll say this, I, I don't want to, you don't have to raise your hand, but some of us have experiences with homelessness. And some, of, some maybe you have yourself or maybe somebody you know. It's a, it's a serious deal. And most of the people that are homeless, I mean, there's a lot of different reasons that people are homeless, but one of them is they've got drug addiction problems and they've got mental illness problems. And just the fact that they're getting off the street doesn't mean that all their drug problems have gone away and all their mental illness has gone away. And I'm sitting here, and I, I mean, I am, can I be honest, pray for me, I am nervous. I go, I am a normal, God-fearing pastor, you know, <laughs> who lives in Pasadena. I got no idea. I said, what do you do? How do you mentor somebody who's homeless? Well, you know, people are homeless that are making this transition. They can feel lonely because all their friends are still on the street. And they need somebody to help them. It may be as simple as balancing their checkbook. And it may be as simple as, uh, you know, being a friend and being there for them and helping them to feel like they can do it because their tendency is going to be to go right back where they were. And not just me. There's a bunch of people in my said, okay. This is a new experience. We have never done this before, but we are going to sign up and we're going to, going to try. And I'm going to pray, God, help me to make a difference. But, you know, I'm excited about it. I'm more excited about this than I am going down and doing, you know, we, we make breakfast on Saturdays, a lot of times on Saturdays, and we'll feed the homeless. I'm more excited about this. But you know why I'm more excited, right? Because this is a chance to make a bigger difference. To make a life difference. Not just feed somebody who's hungry one meal. And so I don't know how it's going to turn out. Enough said. God made you to make a difference. There's a hole in your soul that will never, you will never find fulfillment until you live your life as God intended you to be. To live, to be somebody who makes a difference in the lives around you. Amen. And you know what? It's going to help them. You know who else is going to help? It's going to help you. You're going to find something that you're not going to otherwise find when you decide to live as God made you and to make a difference. Should we pray? Yeah. Let's pray. God, thank you for the example of Jesus. You know, it's so refreshing, it's so exciting that no matter how many years we've looked at Jesus and read about Jesus and read the accounts of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, there's just so much more to see. There's so much more to know. There's so much more to learn. We pray today that for each of us here, we can 
have the courage. Give us the courage, God, to ask ourselves the really hard questions about how happy we really are and how, how we're living our lives, if we're really living to make a difference. Help us to find what you want us to find and help us to make a difference. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.